put many millions of people back to work, the banks will be able to lend again. This is a new era. This is the Trump era. The lawlessness, the abdication of duty to enforce our laws, and the catch and release policies of the past are over. But I think it is clear that we see no further role for the Assad regime longer term, uh, given that they have effectively uh, given up their legitimacy with these type of attacks. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right, happy Tuesday, April 11th, 2017. Welcome to the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. A busy news day as always. In fact, folks, breaking news this just in before we... Went to record the podcast. The Washington Post reports that the FBI obtained a FISA warrant last year to monitor Trump advisor Carter Page. Really? Not breaking news. We know about this already. Uh, We've been covering this for, what, three weeks now. And if you go onto my website, neilacruso.com, we have an entire story connecting the dots of Obama administration surveillance of the Trump campaign, Trump Transition team members, Trump family members. We've connected the dots. Apparently, the Washington Post is just catching up to it. Um, But we know about the FISA warrants that was obtained in June 2016. Or, excuse me, request in June 2016 was too broad because they want to spy on Team Trump. And then October 2016, a month before the election, was when uh, it was actually granted. It was, I guess, a little bit more... Um, structured, uh, a little bit more focused, but in the same regard, uh, it seems like, uh, according to multiple reports and multiple sources, that they spied on Team Trump and the Washington Post is just catching up to this. And that's just one aspect of it. Because the other dots include days before Obama left office, we know what? That they allowed the NSA to share globally intercepted communications among 16 agencies to share intelligence, to allow other agencies to hide who the leakers are. That's what the unintended consequence, or the intended consequence, for that matter, was. Obama also left a trail of intelligence leaks so that it would get to the mainstream media and people would find out some of these insane allegations against the president. And what do we know, by the way, about Trump and Russia? We know that they're not getting along in the Syria attack and that Putin is condemning Trump and Trump's condemning Putin. So, yeah, they're really getting along. They're really best buds. Unbelievable. Um, So you get this whole, um, uh, this story that's finally coming out in the mainstream. Where the hell have they been? The New York Times has reported on the FISA warrant and has reported on multiple things and then they deny it. They just never connect their own dots, by the way, because they report sporadically. But if you connect the dots and if you hear sources from Bloomberg and Fox News, multiple sources that are saying on the inside that we're worried because there's now a precedent that you can spy on a political adversary. 
And another aspect of this article that really um, bugged me because it's not true, it said that the Pfizer warrants that they had probable cause to spy on Team Trump. Um, that's not true because Pfizer warrants, which is the Foreign Intelligence Surve Surveillance Agency, does not require probable cause. It only requires, because of a new law that was signed under President Barack Hussein Obama, allows the, and it was in 2015 uh, when this law was signed, basically allows you to request a FISA warrant to surveil, wiretap, or any type of surveillance on American citizens for just the reason of national security. So you only need a low bar by saying, hey, listen, it's national security. We can't talk about it. But we know things. And so because of that, because national security give us the warrant. So they basically, and Pfizer warrants, and I've talked to an FBI official off the record who has told me they're very easy to obtain. And uh, it's a little bit, it's just a step above a rubber stamp. That's how easy it is to obtain a Pfizer warrant, according to this FBI, former FBI agent. And so you don't need probable cause like every other court. This is a covert court that we shouldn't even know about the FISA request, but we've known about it. And it was obtained in October 2016, finally being reported by the Washington Post, but where the hell have they been? Uh, meanwhile, Syria, still the big story today. Uh, Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, is uh, reportedly is going to uh, press the United Nations, who's going to come out... Um, with a uh, report um, tomorrow, and the UN is going to decide, or they're going to have a vote tomorrow, I guess, on whether they're going to take action in Syria. You know, they've just begin to, began to monitor the situation in Syria. Uh, uh, really, the UN is useless, okay? And so now you have Putin, who has been using the UN and operating them like puppets, is reportedly going to ask the UN to officially investigate last week's chemical attack in Syria, claiming that there are plans for the U.S. to fake the use of chemical weapons. This is what Vladimir Putin is pushing as a conspiracy theory. Quote, We have information that a similar provocation is being prepared in other parts of Syria, including in the southern Damascus suburbs, where they are planning to, again, plant some substance and accuse the Syrian authorities of using chemical weapons. This is what Putin said in Moscow the day today that U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson arrived. He's not meeting with Putin. Putin says he won't meet with him. And Tillerson is trying to finagle some sort of uh, foreign policy um, arrangement there, which is not going well, obviously. Um, you know, And this is why President Trump was very easy in his words. He did not want to criticize Putin before he became president because then you can't really start on anything. Now, they're testing Trump. There's no doubt. You have Russia and Syria are top allies. And for Putin to push that the U.S. is framing Syria, it goes to show you this guy has a major agenda and he's pushing propaganda of his own. Now, Trump knows this and the president is very wary of um, of making enemies out of out of small topics. So now he knows he has a challenge for Putin. Can Trump give him a call and say, "Listen, we got to work together, and it's not an 
either of our best interests for people to die here. Um, and uh, Rex Tillerson, as you heard in the intro clip, is suggesting that Bashar al-Assad's regime is over, that it will come to an end. Uh, Bashar al-Assad, the Syrian dictator who has used chemical weapons on his own people. In fact, chemical weapons since 2013 have been used on Syrian uh, citizens, civilians, at least 10 times since 2013. And Syria is responsible for at least half of them, probably all of them. So they're dropping chemical weapons on people via the air, via plane, and Putin's saying, oh, well, the U.S. is framing that. And Russia was supposed to take their chemical weapons away. Now, you remember, we played all of the clips yesterday of John Kerry, of Obama, Susan Rice, Josh Ernest, all of them saying 100% of Syrian chemical weapons were gone. In 2014, this is what they said. And that Russia, we struck a deal with Russia, and they worked with us. Yeah, fantastic. Great Russian reset, by the way. And just abominable policies by the Obama administration. And that's leading to these foreign policy issues that Trump is facing. And Putin's pushing this conspiracy today. Um, so, like I said, Tillerson's pushing for the end of the Assad regime. Now, um, Democrats, by the way, you know, we on Sunday talked about uh, some of the opposition. There's been mostly political praise for the Syrian airstrike. Democrats, though, are turning on one of their own, which is rare. Tulsi Gabbard, Democrat from Hawaii, she criticized the Syrian airstrike. She said, and now she was pretty fair-minded, didn't meet with President Trump after he was elected, which Democrats were not supportive of. Tulsi Gabbard had tweeted this, uh, Have we not learned from Iraq and Libya the road to hell is paved with good intentions? Escalation means more dead children, more refugees. U.S. attacks on Syria won't save children. Rather, will strengthen al-Qaeda's attempts to overtake Syria, leading to more deaths and refugees. Now, I understand where she's getting at, and we'll talk about that side in a second. But because of this response, you have governor, former governor Howard Dean calling this is a disgrace, calling for Gabbard uh, to resign from her position. And uh, other, uh, Nina uh, Nira Tandon, the trusted advisor to Hillary Clinton and former DNC uh, Chair Howard Dean were the ones that criticized, uh, but Tandon, the advisor to uh, Hillary, said that um, people of Hawaii's second district, was it not enough for you that your rep met with a murderous dictator? Will this move you? Um, so, you know, there's some uh, some backlash that Democrats, that uh, Tulsi Gabbard Democrats do not support the airstrike. Are facing because say it's bipartisan support. There are very few who didn't agree with it. We talked about yesterday that uh, President Trump did have constitutional privilege to launch an airstrike, especially as it relates to our national security. And President Trump sent the message that if you go as to, as far as to use chemical weapons on your people, we will act. And Bashar al-Assad has done this. More than 10 times um, and since 2013, and it's time the United States sent a, sent a message that we're not going to have another Holocaust here. Now, those are my words uh, yesterday, and I said, listen, you know, if you have a situation, okay, where it has escalated, you're using chemical weapons, killing 80 people just this episode, yet others 
in the past. This is nothing new. What steps are you going to do to ensure that this doesn't come here when there's a radicalization element involved here and he's a murderous dictator? What do you do? Okay, now Trump is taking the position, obviously, that changed him and said, we need to send a message. We're not going to tolerate this bullcrap. And we're not going to put up with North Korea either and their nuclear weapons that are uprising. And President Trump tweeted this morning that, hey, listen, North Korea, they have bad intentions here. And if they're going to build them nuclear weapons, we're not going to sit idly by and allow them to do that. It's called, we're going to use our strength to promote peace in the region and to say, listen, we promote American values and our standing in the world is important. And while we do put our country first, something like that threatens all of us. And it will come here if we don't act upon it. Obama drew a red line. Whatever the hell that meant, it didn't do anything because he didn't act on it. They said that they got rid of the chemical weapons. They didn't. And so now we finally sent a message to everybody that, hey, we mean business and we're back. Um, now, there were some comments made today before I get on to... Actually, let me do Tulsi Gabbard's point because I do see it. And then we'll get to these comments that uh, Spicer made. Tulsi Gabbard's point here is well taken. It is the... So while I'm in favor of this airstrike, most political actors are. Uh, people, national security experts, said it was smart. This was not done in haste. This was something talked about with his National Security Council, uh, General James Mad Dog Mattis, who spoke today, actually, from the Pentagon. Very calm, cool, collected, but stern, and right to the point, saying, we're not letting this happen, and we are going to take action, and, uh, and we are going to um, seek to destroy ISIS and destroy a murderous regime. Now, the problem is, if Assad goes... Who replaces him? What comes out of that? Now, you have ISIS in the region. You have terrorists. You have Al-Qaeda, uh, Hezbollah, all in that region. What uh, if you unseat Assad? So if America gets involved there and supports the unseating of Assad. Now, Obama has, has promoted the unseating of dictators before. Look at Egypt. Um, look at... Uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, he supported the uh, campaign against him and actually used taxpayer money, which is illegal and probably an impeachable offense, to send money to a campaign against the current Prime Minister of Israel, an ally of ours. Okay, so if we are to unseat Assad or we support that, if God forbid ISIS, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, another terrorist organization, comes to power there, it will be worse. But the problem is, any time people die, you have 80 citizens dying in this chemical weapons attack, and they're coming here as refugees, they don't want to be here, they want to be home, and they support Trump, the Syrian refugees, you would think not, they do. The media narrative, wrong. Um, and so if you are... President Trump, if you were this administration, you got to think about the consequences here, okay? If, and I don't have the answers on a claim to, but if Assad goes, who replaces him? 
And that's what you have to think about. Um, and, you know, this this is very tricky waters. Because you have a situation where you can have a terrorist group then running a country. And they want to. And they want to create a caliphate. So you have a sticky situation. Do you want to see the murderous dictator and face unintended consequences? Or do you let him continue to rule and murder his own people? It's a lose-lose situation. But you don't know what the outcome could be. And if you have a situation where... Now, this that would require troops, though. And see, this is where people are concerned that you're not going to... You're going to pursue interests in the Middle East... And it's going to get worse. We're going to screw things up. And it's probably just better that we stay out of the conflict at that point. So there were a lot of sticky situations. I don't claim to know the answers. But you have a murderous dictator and Bashar al-Assad in power. And you could possibly have ISIS overthrow them if the United States supports the overthrowing of Assad. All of these things have to be considered. Um, Now... A flub today at the White House briefing, a uh, really a shame in the way things were uh, were taken by the media, but we'll dissect it. Um, Sean Spicer made comments today about, um, listen, the quote, and I wish I got the audio, I probably should have grabbed it, but um, they've been pushing a, a, you know, a narrative here, and I understand what, because I listened to it live and I heard the context. And just to get my two cents on it, because I know it's a big, big conversation today, although we have much bigger policy concerns to be worried about than rhetoric. Um, Sean Spicer made a comparison about uh, Bashar al-Assad's regime and comparing him to Nazi Germany and basically saying what Assad did is unacceptable and that this is... I mean, I think what he was saying was is that it's the Nazi Germany of our time. And I compared it yesterday, I compared it on Sunday to the Holocaust. I said, listen, if you have a situation where you're gassing citizens, you cannot sit idly by. And if you, and I said it again today, and if you allow this to happen and you have a Holocaust rise, well, that's going to be on you. And America has to lead to prevent that from happening. So... Sean Spicer was making a similar comparison. Unfortunately, the words that he used was a little bit of a gaffe. He said that, uh, you know, uh, Assad is so bad, uh, even Hitler didn't um, didn't use chemical weapons. Now, of course, he did. He gassed people to death. Um, he was referring uh, to, you know, uh, to this Assad regime and how bad it is. That was the comment. I don't think he really thought that comparison through was factually wrong. Yes, it was. People are taking advantage of it. NBC is jumping all over it. Um, I don't think it's the big news of the day. It's a gaffe. It's going to get sexy headlines. It's going to get clicks online. But to be honest with you, it really isn't the big news of the day. And it's not the headline, but that's the narrative that's being pushed forth. Uh, Spicer did come out and apologize and said that it was insensitive. He apologizes. Um, he didn't mean it that way. It was taken that way by the media. He said, oh, wait a minute. Are you, you know, and, and unfortunately, he, he of all people should not be mentioning that name Hitler in there because throughout the campaign, you have, you know, all these 
people on the left wrongfully, and and they had incendiary remarks that were not called to task, with Spicer's being called to task, and their incendiary remarks that comparing Trump to Hitler, which is just wrong. But they pushed that narrative, and they didn't. And guess where the—see where the hypocrisy and the bias is? They jump all over Spicer here for a little flub, a little gaffe, and obviously he didn't mean it that way. All he was saying was, listen, Assad's a bad dude. He's a bad hombre. We need to do something about this. Um, and we are going to sit idly by. We need to lead before this type of holocaust happens because obviously Assad has bad intentions. So they jump all over it, but they didn't jump all over people calling Trump Hitler, and they still do it, uh, which is just sick and, and disturbing. Now, on to back to policy. President Trump's administration, led by Attorney General Jeff Sessions, announcing a new wave of immigration enforcement in a speech at the U.S.-Mexico border in Arizona today in front of our Immigration and Customs Enforcement uh, Border Patrol agents. Now, there are four elements to the announcement today, saying criminal illegal aliens will be detained. They will not be released. This will not be catch and release. They will be detained. Now, part of that, the problem with why there was catch and release still going on was because they didn't want to wait for an immigration judge. You know, if you get arrested, you have to see it. You have to be arraigned and you have to be put in court. So Sessions is going to hire more judges, uh, a surge of 25 immigration judges at detention centers along the border to expedite the process, detain them, put them into the court system, and give them due process. Um, and the hiring of 50 new immigration judges in 2017, an additional 75 in 2018. Um, Attorney General Sessions also said that they are going to prosecute those who are harboring criminal illegal aliens. Now, by the way, this is the law as it stands now. And the, this is really merely enforcing the law. We have these laws in place, and unfortunately, the last eight years and probably beyond that, we said we're not going to enforce the law. This is the law on the books. This is nothing new. Um, you know, immig uh, immigrants apprehended for crossing the border illegally face civil procedures with deportation, the only penalty. That's what the law states and mandates uh, the prioritizations of um, such enforcement does a uh, session's directive, but it's merely enforcing the laws on the books. I mean, you know, Trump was being called uh, for controversially bringing up illegal immigration. It's illegal, for God's sakes. You know, MS-13 gang members, drug cartels, criminal organizations, drug dealers that are selling drugs to your kids, heroin, opioids that are... We have a massive epidemic. Look at New Hampshire. Look at Suffolk County in New York. Look at California. All over. People dying from opioid um, epidemic uh, from, from uh, overdosing. And you have uh, people who come in illegally. They commit crimes. They rape. They murder. And they have been thrown out under the Trump administration. Now, this is the law. Do we want people who are going to come in here illegally, then commit crimes and stay in here? It doesn't make sense. Be caught and then released back into the public. Oh, let's just let a rapist right through. Well, this is what Jeff Sessions said today in Arizona on the new immigration directive today. Starting today, 
federal prosecutors are now required to consider for prosecution all of the following offenses, the transportation and harboring of aliens. As you know too well, this is a booming business. No more. We're going to shut down and jail those who've been profiting from this lawlessness. Smuggling gang members across the border, helping convicted criminals re-enter the country, and preying on those who don't know how dangerous and costly this journey can be. Further, where an alien has unlawfully entered the country, which is a misdemeanor, that alien will now be charged with a felony if they unlawfully enter or attempt to enter a second time and certain aggravating circumstances are present. Where possible, prosecutors are directed to charge criminal aliens with document fraud and aggravated identity theft, the latter carrying a two-year minimum mandatory penalty. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, I have directed that all 94 United States Attorney's offices make the prosecution of assaults on federal officers uh, a priority. If someone dares to assault one of our folks in the line of duty, they will do federal time for it. For those that continue to seek improper and illegal entry into this country, be forewarned. This is a new era. This is the Trump era. The lawlessness, the abdication of duty to enforce our laws, and the catch and release policies of the past are over. I love it. It's a new era. Okay, the Trump era is here, and that means law and order. And so when you look at this, Attorney General Sessions in Arizona today at the U.S.-Mexico border announced that each U.S. attorney would be required to designate a point person of border security prosecutions by the 18th of April. Uh, the person, so in a week from today, the person in that position, known as a border security coordinator, will be directed to coordinate with the Department of Homeland Security. This is according to Jeff Sessions' memo from the Department of Justice. Uh, under U.S. law, current U.S. law, anyone who harbors or transports an illegal alien has crossed the border illegally two or more times, resists an immigration order's arrest, or commits travel document fraud, is subject to criminal prosecution. As Sessions said, we will prosecute to the fullest extent of the law. And that's the way it should be. Now, this does two things. Number one, it says, um, well, if any, U if any attorney... Uh, U.S. attorney in a state, uh, state U.S. attorney, says, uh, well, we're not going to comply with federal law. We remove your funding, okay? Number two, it says that if you commit a crime here and you're here illegally, we will prosecute you. We will not let you be released, as it should be. They committed a crime by being here. Then they commit a crime, you know, by, uh, you know, murdering or raping somebody they do not deserve to get away with that it is insanity it does not make sense and number three it deters border crossings so now everyone who is in el salvador who is in mexico who is in guatemala and other places um honduras they will understand that jeff sessions the united states means business and the trump organization uh, Trump administration, I should say, will ensure that the law is pursued. And 
you know, we have it now, okay, they mean business. They're not going to take, uh, you know, illegal uh, immigration coming in here and threatening our national security. Um, and so Sessions tough there, but hey, it's enforcing the law. Uh, and that's what the laws are, you know, exist to provide. Um, in the UK, this uh, was a story that I felt I had to share because it kind of relate. It relates to immigration here. Um, you have a uh, United Kingdom illegal immigrant jailed for a rape attempt. Will get thirty three thousand dollars in compensation because he was in prison too long. Okay, now get this. It's almost twenty five thousand more than his victim received. Okay, this type of open border immigration policy does not protect victims. It does not protect the little guy that Democrats claim to protect. It does not protect citizens, okay? What is the United States' responsibility here? It is to protect our citizens and protect the national interest. So when they say, well, you know, you're going to, and you have, by the way, legal border crossings down 40%, just as a deterrent. And, you know, it, it, people are critics of, of this, plan are saying, well, you know, people are, uh, you're going to, um, or they're calling actually human rights violations on this. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're saying that you're, um, hurting the, uh, civil liberties and human rights of, uh, of those that are trying to come in the U S. Okay. They're coming into the U S the wrong way. Number one. And number two, what about the human rights of Kate Steinle who died in San Francisco at the hand of an illegal immigrant who was deported four times? What about the uh, in March when we had five big cases? You had a rape in a high school. Where's the justice for that girl and that family? And in Houston, two illegal immigrants uh, uh, raping and murdering U.S. citizens. And we can go down the list. Uh, in Hempstead, New York, a two-year-old girl sexually assaulted, okay, it is sickening, what it, and these are all preventable crimes, they shouldn't be happening, and so where are the human rights activists, okay, where is the ACLU condemning that rape, where are they saying we need to protect citizens in this country, no, because they have a global agenda, because the ACLU is a global organization that profits off of globalist policies, okay? And they want open borders and inclusion, okay? But inclusion hurts people, okay? And we're going to talk about a story later on about, you know, LGBT activists wanting inclusion, but they also don't understand the other side of the story, okay? And these trigger warnings and these snowflakes is out of control. So in this case, a UK illegal immigrant jailed, getting $33,000 of compensation because he was in prison too long. Uh, whatever his name is, I can't pronounce it. Uh, 36-year-old sneaked into the UK in 2005. He racked up battery, theft, carrying a knife. He was still allowed to stay. Then in 2012, he got four years in prison uh, for a rape in South Wales making him liable for automatic deportation when free. He's Kurdish. The Kurds spent two years inside before being allowed out and was immediately locked up again under immigration laws to prevent him from disappearing. But because he had no ID papers, so officials could not prove his nationality, 
they sent him home. Oh, undocumented. Yeah, I don't have an ID. Well, then you don't belong here. And this is in the UK. This goes on in the US. Um, he is getting $33,000 for being unlawfully detained for 11 months. He wasn't being unlawfully detained, okay? Until his release last December, his victim would have been entitled to only around 9300 in compensation. So we're paying off a rapist. Okay, this is the UK. Paying off a rapist who should not have been in here, should have been deported, but because he didn't have documentation, he was allowed to stay. Now, this is the problem. That's in the U.S. all the time. Oh, I don't have documentation. I, you know, I don't have anything. It, either that's bullcrap or... If you don't have documentation, and we know you're illegal, you get deported. It's so common sense, it's scary. It just, it's sickening that this person in the UK, this rapist, was actually released and then paid off $33,000. It is so mind-boggling. It's almost, I want to vomit over it. Um, move on. From national security for the moment. Um, one more uh, story I'm going to get to before we take the break. Uh, President Trump on the economy today. A strategic and policy discussion with CEOs uh, today at the White House where he said that Dodd-Frank, a uh, regulations on Wall Street, may be eliminated and replaced with something else. I'm joined with him at the conference. Uh, participants, uh, Rich Lesser, the chief executive of Boston Consulting Group, Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, Indra Nui, uh, the chief executive of Pepsi, uh, Jim McNary, former CEO of Boeing, the chief executive of IBM, Ginny Rometty, and Jack Welch, former chairman of General Electric, among others. Uh, General Motors was there. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, the OMB director, Office of Management Budget, uh, and other um, key White House players. Uh, this is the news that President Trump made today in talking about the economy and talking about job growth in the private sector. This is just the beginning. We're going to reduce taxes. We're going to eliminate wasteful regulations, which we've already done probably 25 percent. You can take a look at Dodd-Frank. Uh, for the bankers in the room, they'll be very happy because we're really doing a major streamlining and perhaps elimination and replacing it with something else. But that'll be the minimum. But we're doing a major elimination of the horrendous Dodd-Frank regulations. Keeping some, obviously, but getting rid of many. And we're going to put many millions of people back to work. The banks will be able to lend again. So many people come to see me. I see them all the time, small businesses. They're unable to borrow from banks. They never had a problem five, six, seven, ten years ago. They had great bankers. They had great relationships. Now they can't borrow. And we're going to let the banks loan them money and they can build their businesses. So with your help and insights, we will use the private sector innovation to drive job creation and reform government. A lot of reform. You know, we have a computer system in this country that's 40 years old. So when you hear we're hacked and we're this, that, we're like easy targets. And one of the things we're doing, in fact, we're working with a very, very wonderful woman from IBM and others, uh, and others, okay, many others. It's like when I said to Lockheed, I like 
the F-35 fighter jet. But then I said, but I also like the Boeing F-18. Okay, so I love your computers, but we're also looking at others, all right? Uh, but we are. We're, we're going to have a, a massive program to modernize our equipment, ideally get brand new equipment. The cost of maintaining our computers is a number that is so high that it's not even a believable number. Now, I've heard anywhere, is this possible, from 39 billion to 89 billion a year. Is that even possible? That's for, that's for, that's for keeping our computers updated and running. And I think we can buy a whole new system for less money than that, wouldn't you say? I mean, I hope so. We'll give you 10 billion right now, monitor. <laughs> so one point on the computer, and again, President Trump there in the White House, one point on this computer infrastructure, because I had done research on this a few months ago, and what I found was that the computer software is so outdated, it dates back to the 50s. And that is a massive problem because when you have a cybersecurity threat unparalleled and um, and when we are such a, a major um, target, you have um, a situation where uh, people can hack into old computers. Now, there are so, so many computer-savvy terrorists out there that the, the terrorist threat is not just on the battlefield. It's not just... Uh, with ideology, which is a key part of it. It also goes to these computer scientists who, I mean, look, you had a computer scientist who rerouted the Trump Organization computer to make it look like it was connected to Russia, okay? And the FBI investigated that and found there was no connection. This is an Indiana University uh, professor and Hillary Clinton supporter who did that, who should be, by the way, locked up. Um, there are computer geeks out there who can hack into any um, any system. I mean, the CIA isn't the only one who is spying on webcams. Let's be real, okay? That anything you do can be hacked, okay? Technology is fantastic. It's also dangerous. And when the government is using outdated software, okay, imagine the spyware that can be hacked on that, uh, going back to the 50s, okay? So that is... And when you have war plans on there, and uh, that is so alarming, it's not even funny. Um, on Dodd-Frank, a closer look at it, it's an 848-page law, an estimated 22,000-plus pages of supplemental regulations on businesses, and the costs resulting from the rules implemented account for over $36 billion on the private sector. Um Dodd-Frank has stifled economic growth. There is no doubt about that. Small businesses struggling uh, cannot hire new workers. Uh, you have not just Dodd-Frank. You have in there the fiduciary rule, which has been delayed. They're supposed to deal with that this month. Um, we'll see what happens with that. So you have a um, you know a massive uh, regulation on businesses that, while there should be obviously accountability, overregulation. Uh, will stifle economic growth. We've talked about that. Uh, that's pretty common, pretty common knowledge. Um, and uh, in addition uh, to that, when you you know this law that no one understands because you have all 848 pages and uh, all these supplemental regulations, what it did was it um, it prevented banks from being able to lend to businesses that would otherwise be lent money now. What did we find out of the recession? We found out that banks were lending too much, that there was basically it was a rubber stamp to give anyone a, uh, a loan. 
that's wrong. So there should there's got to be a middle ground here. I'm not saying deregulation and be totally. I'm saying well partially deregulation, but I'm not saying get rid of everything altogether because I understand the necessity for accountability. But the same regard, going far left on this issue, like Elizabeth Warren wants to do, and she's launched a war on businesses. Pocahontas, this Elizabeth Warren, I call her Goofy. Yeah, well, she is Goofy, um, <laughs> and she wants basically wants a war on business. And what does it do? And now you can't hire workers, and the private sector hurts because of it. Now, private sector jobs just in a couple of months of the Trump administration, 82 days, you have private sector job growth already. Um, and you saw last month the numbers uh, that came in that said that 263 jobs were created in the private sector. Uh, the estimate was 170, by the way. And uh, 263 were created. You have uh, over $100 billion being invested in the U.S., over 1.8 million uh, American jobs being created as a result of Trump's policy. Big league. Um, big league jobs. Uh, Toyota made a big announcement yesterday. More uh, jobs coming in here. The car industry has really uh, come back under Trump. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. But uh, meeting with CEOs today at the White House and making sure that we uh, fuel economic growth. And listen, who better, who knows that better than Mr. Trump, who uh, was a, you gotta remember, he's a businessman, he's not a politician. I think a lot of a lot of times people forget that, but he's running the country like a business, uh, and we're running this like a business as well. So uh, when we come back, you have that uh, United uh, situation where uh, somebody was literally dragged off the plane. So what's the story with that? Uh, what is the real story? Well, we'll talk about his checkered pass with the law, shall we say, plus the New York Times writes a hit piece, and Chick-fil-A not being welcomed on college campuses. We'll analyze more from the Snowflake Brigade. That coming up on the Neely Cruiser Show podcast on this Tuesday. Informant, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Or not. M2. Or not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Indoor baseball, anyone? Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update! I'm gonna let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester.
Neil's the real deal, but don't just take our word for it. I'll tell you what, I've gotten to know him really well. He's the real deal. We have somebody who's the real deal working for us, and that's what we need. Neil's the real deal. Telling it the way it is on the Neil A. Caruso Show podcast on iTunes and the Neil A. Caruso Show Sundays at 12 noon Eastern on NeilACaruso.com. Some of the audio there that's <laughs> oh my god um well maybe i should make light of it uh because it was a disturbing sight if you saw this video of this uh person claiming uh that he was a doctor going to see patients and he was removed from this united flight pretty viciously by three men dragged off the plane his face was bloody uh pretty disturbing i a couple of things just on the face of it is First of all, no one, they shouldn't be overbooking flights, but you know every plane does it because people don't show up and it's a business. So if you're going to ask people to volunteer to leave, no one volunteers, you randomly select people. Honestly, how would I feel? And this is what I was thinking was, how would I feel if I was asked, I booked this flight whenever you did, I don't know when he did, but you booked this flight and then you're told, sir, you have to leave, we'll reschedule you for later or another day. Um, No. I plan my schedule, I had this place to go, whatever, whether you're going for business or vacation, I wouldn't like to be told to be left off a plane. Now, they have the right to do it, it's in fine print, they do have a right to kick you off the plane for whatever reason that they deem necessary, but you have, he was just viciously dragged off his, now, the video though is short, and so then I say, well, wait a minute, why would this guy who doesn't look to be built... Looks a little weak, right? I mean, you know, it doesn't seem to be someone that would put up a fight with security. Why would he have to be forcibly taken out of his seat by three big security guards and dragged down the aisle? That's another question I have. The other question is, how did his face get bloody? Because we don't see it on the video. And then I say, well, wait a minute. Okay, we've all too often, we've seen these videos of police officers and police brutality Okay, to find out that the guy was a bad dude who was committing a crime and unfortunately had to be, lethal force had to be used. And we find out that police officers did use protocol and that, you know, they just wanted something to rant and rave about and they published 10 seconds of a much larger situation, a much larger scenario. So this video does not give all the answers. Now, United did not handle this properly. United's CEO came out and said, well, um, I, I don't have the statement in front of me, but he defended, basically defended it and said that uh, nothing was wrong here, whatever, which is the wrong move to make when you have public outcry. So the CEO then came back and said, we will fix this and it's our fault. We'll deal with it, we'll investigate. That's what the original statement should have been, but it wasn't. Now, the New York Daily News puts out, and the Daily News, by the way, a liberal paper, so before you start saying it's conspiracy, it is not. Uh, the Daily News wrote a 
uh, story about they found who the guy is, a Kentucky doctor. His name uh, is David Dow, uh, Elizabethtown, Kentucky doctor, because remember he said that he was a doctor looking to see patients. Well, the Daily News did a little digging and found out uh, his checkered past. Not that this has much to relate to the video, although maybe it could explain why he was the one that was singled out to be picked off, possibly. I don't know. We don't have all the facts yet. I'll be clear. But this doctor, who is ripped from his United Airlines seat, uh, has this past with the law that is not pretty. In fact, it's pretty disgusting. Um, he was previously convicted for drug-related crimes that saw him fork over his medical license for a decade. So if he doesn't have a medical license, maybe he lied about going to see patients. Um, furthermore, the beleaguered doctor, David Dow is his name, was educated in Vietnam and later moved to the U.S. He was first arrested 14 years ago as part of an undercover investigation, according to documents. The Kentucky Board of Medical Licensure launched a probe, an investigation, uh, documentation which surfaced online, which found that Dow, the doctor, and an accomplice, Brian Case is the accomplice's name, had been trading prescription drugs in exchange for sex. Okay, so quick recap. Convicted for drug-related crimes. Arrested 14 years ago after moving from Vietnam. He and an accomplice was, were trading prescription drugs for sex. Okay, the doctor is accused of hiring this accomplice, Brian Case, after giving him a physical exam, making him an office manager, according to a report that was filed to the Kentucky Board of Medical Licensure. This goes on, by the way. This is not where his conflict with the law stops. The accomplice was eventually indicted with the doctor who was forcibly pulled off the plane today. Um, the accomplice quit the job after the doctor made inappropriate comments. Then the doctor, his name is Dow again, he allegedly, quote, pursued him aggressively to the point where he agreed to trade off prescription drugs in exchange for sex. This is according to reports from the medical, to the medical board in Kentucky. The doctor was accused at one point of splitting the drugs with the accomplice and wrote personal checks for him to fill the prescriptions. Both were arrested at a motel in July 2003 and charged with obtaining a controlled substance by fraud or forgery. In all, this doctor, who was forcibly removed from the United Plane today, was hit with 90 felony counts at the same time. Dow was convicted of multiple charges in November 2004 and sentenced the following January to five years of supervised probation. He also handed over his medical license. And then you have today, he was one of four passengers removed from a plane and the viral video that came out. I don't know if there's any correlation to his past the law and the incident that happened in United Today, which, if the video told the full story, it was disturbing. At the same time, he didn't leave and the airline has the right to remove him. Was it... How did he get the bloody head? We don't know at this point. But he has this past with the law that is disturbing, that is disgusting, and... That's part of the story. We still don't know the full story. Uh, the New York Times, because they really don't report the full stories, 
their esteemed journalists over the New York Times. They wrote a 1330-word essay, 1,330 words, on how Trump is screwing up. Okay, what is he screwing up this time? The Easter egg roll. Seriously? First of all, he doesn't do anything with that. I would hope that he's more focused on Syria and Russia at this point, North Korea and Iran, and the economy, than he is about a stupid Easter egg roll. I mean, priorities. And the New York Times wastes 1,330 words on this. And I'll tell you what they wrote because it is just another hit piece and another way to take an undercut at him in favor of the left. Their new slogan, by the way, quote, The truth is more important now than ever in an age of alternative facts. Okay, well, this piece on the uh, says that the White House mismanaged the annual scavenger hunt, which is, by the way, the first late office of the First Lady is organizing it, um, for brightly painted wooden balls entitled, quote, um, the, this is the, what the title of the article is, by the way, the latest test for the White House, pulling off its Easter egg roll. All right, so the piece criticizes everything from lateness, uh, to which the administration ordered its commemorative eggs, to the number of eggs they ended up ordering, compared to the Obama administration, because they ordered so many more eggs. It's great. They wasted more taxpayer dollars. And the amount of tickets they have yet to send to local school children. And there's more. So let me just read you some quotes from this hit piece. They write, and this is so absurd and such a petty thing for them to cover. Quote, it is unclear, for instance, whether Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary, uh, with um, will reprise excuse me, his appearance in a bunny suit for the event as he did a decade ago when George W. Bush was president and Mr. Spicer was an aide for the office of the United States Trade Representative. Seriously, they're worried about who's dressing up as the Easter Bunny? Then there was a lot of hand-wrangling over the fact that the administration ordered only 40,000 eggs this year compared to 85,000 ordered in 2016. Really? Do we need 85,000 Easter eggs for one day? Ugh. The newspaper, the New York Times, also terribly distraught that the Trump administration forgot to notify a cartoon monkey and felt covered, and felt covered puppet about the affair beforehand. This is what they wrote, the New York Times. Quote, I can't believe that this is even a sentence in the esteemed New York Times. Even Curious George and Elmo did not know for sure that the Easter egg roll was happening until late last month when the White House first contacted PBS Kids to ask if it could provide costume characters. Seriously? Who gives a crap about when Elmo knew to show up? Elmo's in Times Square groping people. That's where he is, if you want to find out. <laughs> I am... Half kidding, half not on that. Um, they're also a, now they make a, oh, Trump is anti-gay type of charge and related to the Easter egg roll. Seriously? The fact that gay military members who got, always, quote, always got tickets under President Obama, that some of them weren't invited according to the person, the president of the American Military Partner Association, who is quoted of saying, I've had quite a few families from across the country reach out and say, hey, are we getting any tickets? Our family wants to drive in for the event. Um, and uh, she said, unfortunately, the Trump administration has not reached out about it. We don't know if that's true. They don't seek to verify that. They don't ask the White House for their response. Um, this organization represents the families of gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender service members. And the New York Times also upset that the famous Obama-era 
Easter egg yoga instructors have been looped in. And then wait, there's more, more condescension. We go back to, remember when Beyonce performed for Hillary Clinton and people really only showed up for Beyonce, not Hillary? Uh, well, sadly, this whole debacle could mean that 20,000 people who are uh, apparently going to attend this year's Easter egg roll, according to the New York Times anyway, so we may have more, who knows, attendees could be subjected to such horrors as listening to a classy military band instead of a big pop star like, quote, Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Idina Mazel, and Salento, who have performed for Easter egg rolls past. Seriously? Okay? This is the White House. This is not a club. Okay? This is not... Uh, a hot New York City nightclub. God forbid children have to hunt Easter eggs without listening to Beyonce practically, you know, play with herself on stage. And I'm not exaggerating on that. Um, okay, so you have that, that hit piece today. It's just more, you know, misplaced outrage. Talk about misplaced outrage. We go to a college campus for that, the hometown of misplaced outrage. University, uh, where is this? Pittsburgh's Duquesne University. Our students there are living in fear. Oh, my God. They're living in fear of the arrival of Chick-fil-A. I can't make this up, folks. That a restaurant chain is causing them to fear that their safe spaces are going to be gone. Uh, it's not about the chicken sandwiches, but the fact that the corporation had the temerity to support traditional marriage during the same-sex marriage debate. Now, to give you a little background, the president of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, acknowledged back during this whole debate, and really not an issue anymore, gay marriage is illegal, acknowledged that it had donated money to organizations opposed to changing the traditional defi definition of marriage. The president of Chick-fil-A is a Christian, uh, or a, uh, yeah, he is a Buddhist, I believe, who... Um, basically, you know, he said that it was, it's a family business that I personally believe that it's not me speaking. This is the, uh, president Chick-fil-A said that he believes that, um, gay marriage, uh, that marriage is between a man and a woman. And that is not, um, that, uh, gay people should be married. That was how he felt as a religious thing. And he is entitled to his opinion. He didn't say they were not serving people who were lesbian, gay, or bisexual. He was asked in an interview. He said, yeah, I, you know, I personally believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. And by the way, nothing wrong with that. Still nothing wrong with that. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Everyone's entitled to free speech. Um, but even though that that's yesterday's news and gay marriage is legal and that's really not an issue and Chick-fil-A serves everybody. And they don't tell their local restaurant chains of how to deal with things uh, in terms of serving or all they have to do is make a chicken sandwich, okay, uh, and make a good one, hopefully. Uh, the Duquesne University student senator, Nico Martini, proposed a resolution on March 26th to the Student Government Association to stop the arrival of Chick-fil-A. They say this is what the... Uh, student senator said this, such a bright student. Quote, Chick-fil-A has a questionable history on civil rights and human rights. I think it is imperative that the university chooses to do business with organizations that coincide with the university's mission and expectations they give students regarding diversity and inclusion. Well, how about inclusion of other people's views that they're allowed to have? Or diversity of views? And maybe 
conservative people should be welcome. And Chick-fil-A should be welcome to run their business. And the university should be welcome to run its business. Civil rights and human rights? Really? Okay. That resolution failed, but the student government did agree to another resolution that would allow for a, quote, vetting process of the new restaurant. Martini's campaign had been embraced by, I can't believe this is even a thing, the university's Gay-Straight Alliance. Ugh, God, seriously? Where Martini is a member of the executive board. The Gay-Straight Alliance of this Duquesne University says that Chick-fil-A poses a clear and present danger to the group's safe space on campus. You just can't make this up. Martini's, uh, or excuse me, the um, uh, GSA, the Gay-Straight Alliance president, said this. I've tried very hard within the last semester and a half to promote this safe environment for the LGBTQ community. I feel like we're just keep adding letters here. Um, so I fear, fear that with the Chick-fil-A being in uh, options, uh, an on-campus food affair, that maybe people will feel that safe space is at risk. They feel triggered by the fact that a fast food restaurant is on campus. Such moral outrage that should not be con uh, commended. Um, she suggested that it would be a big deal if someone can make a statement to eliminate the fear of being marginalized by having this business on campus. And then the student government president, Olivia Erickson, took this so seriously. This is a concern very seriously. We're working on gathering students. The whole ironic part here is that Chick-fil-A uh, is coming to Duquesne because a student survey asked for more chicken dinner options on campus. And there are 245 college campuses around the world. So what do we find out here? College students, they feel triggered. They feel persecuted by everything. Oh, you're infiltrating their safe spaces. I think they need to grow up. Covered that yesterday. I felt that I would do a snowflake follow-up. Because it's so out of hand. And I just bet that people, especially these you know, old school type of people, are just laughing. They're having a good time at this because, well, it's just so sad that these students, they have no outrage over proper things. They get outraged over a fast food restaurant and over, oh my god, I may kill myself because you're talking about violence. Seriously? Go to a hospital if you're really going to uh, feel like you're going to kill yourself, but uh, on a serious note, on, a, on the more uh, satirical note that I'm making, just grow up. I mean, how are you? How do you even wake up in the morning? How do you survive in life? With all the stuff that's going on in the world, and you know we have it covered for you, telling you the way it is, the real deal news here on the New Age Crystal Show podcast. We'll see you on tomorrow's podcast on Wednesday, Hump Day, April 12th. And uh, my Mets got a big win tonight. God bless you, and God bless America. The Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast is a production of Crusoe Enterprises. Engaging, informing, and entertaining. Passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Crusoe on social media. And log on to neilacrusoe.com to sign up for Crusoe's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.